I'm sure many of you understand uh, that in an increasingly, in an increasing way, the biblical worldview of the home is under attack. It's one of the reasons why uh, Pastor Mike is, has this wonderful relationship with Renew a Nation, and we're inviting them to come speak to uh, our church on February 27, so that we can continue to pass on a biblical worldview to our children and grandchildren. It's under attack from, you know, people like the mainstream media and liberal politicians, Hollywood elite talk shows and all those kinds of things are, are trying to tear down a biblical worldview of the home. And you may say, well, what is a, a biblical worldview? Well, it's, it's seeing and interpreting all of life through the, through the lens of Scripture. And, and as Deuteronomy chapter 6 teaches, it's, it's the home. It's in the home where moms and dads, where parents are supposed to speak the word of God. We're supposed to teach the word of God and, and learning takes place in the home of the word of God. And the church, this, this wonderful community, this great body of believers, we come alongside the home and we, we help defend and, and hold to the truths of scriptures while, while trying to partner with moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas on how they can best teach and equip their children with a biblical worldview and how to apply those truths as they live out their lives. And can I say this? It, they have to hear it from you, mom and dad. It doesn't matter what book you read, you will find that moms and dads and grandparents are the top four influences in a child's life. And they have to hear a biblical worldview from mom and dad because it, it's those influences in their life outside of the home that are constantly in their ears trying to destroy that biblical worldview. And so moms and dads have to, in the home, say, hey, God created men to be men and women to be women and both to fulfill the God-given glorifying roles that he has intended them to do in creating them to be men. And women, you may have heard about, it's been in the news recently, an NCAA swimmer who was a man and competed for two years in the NCAA swimming world and then did a transgender change and now this year is competing as a woman and is breaking all kinds of records because he's competing against female swimmers. And it's causing a stir because you have some who are trying to defend his right, his right as a, as a man who thinks he's a woman to swim as a woman. And then you have others who are saying, that's so unfair. This man is a man and he's competing against women. And it's causing such incredible confusion. You'll even, if you're careful to listen to it, you'll hear it even in the Olympics of, of this cross gender confusion that's being offered and what rules have to be made and what new laws have to be passed in regarding to it the national news if you're careful to listen to will will tell, sometimes tell of school systems where they won't inform mom and dad of, of children that are are having some kind of gender confusion and they'll listen to psychiatrists and psychologists and, and move them into having life-altering surgeries without caring what mom and dad should, who, who are, should be the greatest investors in their lives without mom and dad even having a say in some cases. And it's the ones who hold to this truly biblical worldview where there is a clear definition of gender and sexuality that are being accused of intolerance and prejudice and hate. 
But this, this is not just happening in the homes of atheists and unbelievers. This is happening in the homes uh, with parents and grandparents who, who raised their children under the principles of the word of God and brought them to faithful gospel preaching churches. And, and as they grow into their teenage and adult years, they're, they're simply flippingly dismissing the traditional views that the word of God teaches about marriage and about sexuality and about gender. And they're running to what the culture has continued to cry out what is acceptable a few months ago pastor mike led a uh, led a life group and it was for parents and grandparents to be able to speak into the lives of their children and it was it was talking about helping your children embrace their god-given gender well one it's kind of sad that we have to teach us class like that but two it's so important because it's exactly opposite of what the culture is trying to to teach and we we would sit there and we would watch these cartoons that schools are showing to indoctrinate their child these children about it's okay if you're a boy to think you're a girl or it's okay to change your gender or or your sexuality or whatever your sexuality is it's fine and and what was so so disheartening to me and discouraging to me is is there would be interviews of children and teenagers and even college students and looking for a clear definition of what a man or a woman was and there was none what a clear definition of marriage was, and there, there just wasn't one. There's so much confusion. And what this confusion, sadly, tragically, is starting to breed in the lives, and we're seeing it as a rise in suicide takes place in the world around us because people are so confused by these conflicting messages they're being told, by what their heart, where the law of God is written on their hearts, what their heart is telling them, what the Word of God clearly says, and it's just bringing pain and sorrow, and it's often rarely seen. And he's looked for a way out. And all the while, the answer lies in the good and glorious design that Jesus made from the start of creation. God's word has the answer that the world is looking for. Hey, church, you know what that means? You need to read this and study it and know it. Because we have to be able to answer the questions that the world is asking and the questions that they will continue to ask. So for the next few weeks, we're going to highlight, we're going to turn our attention to a series called Highlighting the Home. And and my desire is, is to just be able to take the word of God and with a clear understanding, teach God's design for the home and his desires for the home. And the first place that we're going to start today is with marriage. Now, I know as, I, as soon as I say that, there's, there's all kinds of different conflicting thoughts. There's some who say, I'm not married yet. I'm not planning to get married anytime soon. I don't need this. There's some who have been married for decades and your marriage is just fine and I don't need this. There's others who marriage brought hurt and pain and brokenness. And when you think of marriage, there's a past that, that, that is painful to you. And there's some who I know are sitting in here and, and the enemy of death ruined your marriage, ended your marriage. But every one of us is in, is in three places, one of three places when it comes to marriage. Either we're preparing for it, we're in it, or we can be investing in someone. Whether it's someone who's preparing for it or someone who's in a marriage, we cannot think, well, this is about marriage and I'm not married, so it doesn't matter to me. It matters to everyone inside of this room. 
But I'm, I'm not going to approach the topic of marriage today with like, hey, here's 10 practical ways to have a healthier marriage because that's not the answer any of us need. I've been to seminars, I've read the books, and, and the practical helps in a marriage are only temporary. They're only for those who, who really are looking for a way to improve their marriage. But my prayer today is that through the word of God and through the spirit of God, we'll change the way we view and approach the marriage relationship. Because I think some marriages fail, not, not all, I'm just saying some marriages fail because there's this faulty understanding. We take this blend between the Bible and the world and we try to blend it together and it doesn't work and we don't understand why. And what we don't realize is we can't just apply a temporary patchwork. We need eternal views of what marriage is meant to, to be. So honestly, while I, I hope this marriage helps present marriages, this, this, this message helps present marriages, my desire, my great desire is that it helps those of you who have future marriages to look into, that you approach marriage with a view that's biblical. A number of years ago, I read a book by Tim Keller, and it's called The Meaning of Marriage. Tim Keller pastors in New York City, and he was, he was opening one of his chapters with a conversation that he had with a couple that he was counseling, and they were living together, and he was encouraging them to get married. He was re receiving some resistance uh, from them, and, and so one of them eventually said, made this statement to him, I don't need a piece of paper to love someone. Basically saying, I don't need to be married in order to, to love this woman. I can do it on my own. I don't, I don't need a piece of paper to love someone. Now think about that statement for a moment. How would you respond? And without question, the prevailing message of culture today is this. You do you. You do you. But is, is you do you a biblical worldview? Because if we were to take the subject of self and go to the scripture and ask, what's the biblical worldview of self? We'll find that it is not you do you. It is deny yourself. It's take up your cross. It's Jesus saying, follow me. It's saying you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body is the temple, not of self, but of God. Right? So if the, the biblical worldview of self is died to self and not you do you, so how does this statement behind me fit into the biblical worldview of marriage? And we're going to come back around to this at the very end of the message today, and I hope that you then can take this thought, I don't need a piece of paper to love someone, and speak biblical truth into it. The beauty of marriage, the beauty of the marriage covenant is, is mentioned early in the word of God. I, I love this. The word of God starts with a wedding in Eden and it ends with a wedding. Wedding between a man and a woman and it ends with a wedding between Christ and the church. And guess where? In Eden. How do you know? Because the tree of life is present in both places. And so we have this Marriage at the front and we have this marriage at the end. So we, we got to understand that marriage is very key to understanding all of the rest of the Bible if it starts and ends with, with a marriage. It's a covenant relationship. 
And those covenant relationships that start and end scripture are so important to understand because covenants are the foundational pieces that all of scripture is built upon. You say, well, what's a covenant? Well, a covenant is a partnership. When two people or or two parties, they they make a binding agreement or a binding promise to one another that they're going to work towards a common goal. It's it's often associated with oaths, with signs, and and with ceremonies. So, so, So think about marriage, right? There's this There's this ceremony where the oaths are given. There's these symbols that are given as representations of the oath. And then there's a reception where they celebrate the giving of those, of that oath or of that covenant that was made. But when was the covenant given? When's the covenant given? In most marriages, and I've done many and I I love doing marriages, but in most, most, here we go, slow down, Brian. In most marriages, what you'll do is you'll have a pastor or an officiant stand and and ask the groom, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Will you love her, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only under her so long as you both shall live? Do you so promise? And the groom says, I do. Who's he saying I do to? Because, you know, in some cases, they're never going to see this officiant again. So what good is it to say I do to an officiant they'll never see again? His wife's not, the, his bride is not the one asking the question. See, when he says I do, he is, he is making a commitment in the sight of the God who ordained covenant marriage. And then he'll go on to make a vow to his wife. Many people write their vows, and I think, it's, I think it's awesome when people write their vows, as long as their vows are not a promise, or are not a, a, a proclamation of their love currently. Like, like, it's not a good vow to say, I love you so much, I want to be with you forever. That, that's a declaration, that's a, that's a proclamation, that's not a vow or a promise. See, a vow in a wedding is, is meant to say, not I love you today, but I will, I promise I will love you forever including the days I don't want to. I mean, we've been, we've, if we've been married for more than a couple of months, you know there are days and there are moments you don't want to. But with that covenant, that promise that was made in a marriage, it says not just I will love you when I want to love you, but I will love you until I die or until you die. It's that covenant that binds us to the promise of love. So look, look in Genesis chapter number two, and it's where we find the first marriage. And the context is Adam's just named all the animals, has not found anything like himself, and God says it's not good for man to be alone. And then we look at Genesis chapter two, verse 21. The Bible says this. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Verse 23. Then the man said, ha, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. I'm going to pause here before we read verse 24, right? So if you're not careful, if you just read through the scriptures, you'll never have understanding of how important that verse is that verse any commentator will tell you that is the first love song ever written 
This man has seen, Adam has named all the animals and there's none that were found like him. And God takes his rib and makes woman. And when he sees her, he goes, ha ha, at last, oh yeah, she's like me. This is one of my, I'm going to call you woman, right? This is exciting for Adam. And then we read verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And we have to understand, why is that put in there? Adam and Eve had no mother and father to leave. This is the writer Moses who is talking of this first marriage saying, yes, it's in this first marriage that we see this covenant bond that was made. A man and a woman, when they come together, they hold fast to one another because now God views them as one flesh. And this marriage becomes the basis of the most important relationship you and I will ever have and I don't mean marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is going to use this same verse, verse 24, in Ephesians chapter 5. He's going to repeat it after he talks about how the marriage is simply the greatest earthly example he can give to the love that Christ has for the church. Now, that's quite a challenge because here's the thing. How many people look at your marriage and say, that's how I want to be loved? Yeah. I see that man and I see that woman. Ha <laughs> ha. That's how I want Christ to love me. Because that's exactly what our marriage is are supposed to bring our children should view our marriage and say i see the way my dad loves my mom and my my mom loves my dad and i not only want to be loved like that by christ i want to be loved like that by someone one day and it, it should cause us to say if an imperfect man and an imperfect woman can love like that. Imagine what kind of love a perfect and a holy God can offer. And that, that perfect holy love, that perfect holy covenant that God offers is what we find all throughout the covenants of Scripture. Remember I told you that, that the covenants are the foundation of, of all that we find in Scripture. There's two covenants in the Bible in, in the book of Genesis. One that God makes with Noah after flooding the earth and ridding the world of wickedness. He makes a covenant with Noah and says, I will never flood the earth again. And we'll put a rainbow in the sky. That's my symbol. A few chapters later, he makes a covenant with a man named Abraham, and it will be a covenant that will be passed down to Abraham's family, and that covenant is out of you. There will be someone who is born that will refer back to Genesis 3.15 that will crush the head of the serpent, and through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And these two covenants, Noah, that God will never destroy the earth by flood, no matter how wicked it is, and Abraham, that out of you, out of your family, I will bring the seed of woman. This is what the rest of Genesis is built upon, these two covenants. In fact, when we get to the beginning of Exodus, we see this covenant referenced again as, as, as we realize it's the covenant God made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob that is the very reason God gets involved and pulls his people out of Egypt and takes them to the promised land. See, verse 24, and God heard their groaning when they were in slavery in Egypt and God remembered his covenant. 
Now, we're, we're smart enough to know God's not going to forget something. So what does that mean, God remembered? When we see God remembered, here's what we always can know. God chose to act in the present on a past promise. He chose to move on something he had already promised would happen. So God remembered his covenant. He pulls his people out of Egypt. But before they get to the promised land, he makes another covenant with all the people. He takes them to the edge of Mount Sinai. And at the edge of Mount Sinai, he brings them together. And he delivers this covenant in Exodus chapter 19. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These 10 commandments, this entire law of Moses actually becomes the the terms of the covenant. And God says, if you keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession. And what is the rest of the Old Testament from this point on? Exodus all the way through Malachi. It is all the people agree and, and obey the covenant of God and they find his blessings. And then they rebel against the covenant of God and they retreat and prophets say, repent and return. And they continue to repent and return until there's a day where they're so far out they never and God says I'm going to bring my justice and my judgment to your rebellion because I will bring you back unto myself and he brings in Babylon who conquers Israel carries them away but while they're there while they're in Babylon and their harps are hung on the trees if you know Psalm 130 I think Psalm 137 the prophets continue to say hey I know you're in a foreign land And I know Jerusalem lays in waste. And I know the temple has been torn down. But don't lose hope. We have a covenant with God. It is through our people that he will bring a Messiah and a deliverer. He will restore to Israel what we had. Those people eventually end up back in Jerusalem. In Israel. And Jesus eventually comes as the fulfillment of that covenant. You say, what does all this covenant talk have to do with marriage? Well, here's the thing. Remember the the first covenant of, of the Bible that we find in Eden of marriage and the last covenant of the Bible that we find in Eden is a marriage in between. Our marriages are meant to be a place of Eden in the midst of a broken and fallen world that the kingdom of God is restoring. Eden, Eden, and your marriages, our marriages should be a place where someone can go and find harmony, perfect harmony, where there's fellowship, there's relationship, and there's joy. Right? This covenant with Noah is, I will never destroy the earth again with a flood We will continue to build the kingdom. Abraham, through you and your family, we will build the kingdom until we're back to Eden again, enjoying the bountiful relationship we can. The covenant with Israel, if you just follow me, you'll stand under the spout of blessings, of joy and relationship that I have. It's when you turn from my covenant that 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 you struggle so much. I want you to know fellowship with God like we had in Eden. And that's, Our homes. 
When men and women who spend all day outside working, when they come home, it should be a place of peace and joy and rest and a truly spiritual covenant marriage will cause and will drive your spouse to want to know God more. I wake up and I, I, I'm usually downstairs first at the kitchen table doing my devotions, but I'll be honest, there are, there are days when I've, I've struggled and I've, man, I've woke up late or something like that and I'll go down and I'll see my wife sitting at the kitchen table with her Bible open and one of her devotionals next to her and I say, thank you. I need that. And I hope that there are times where, where she and sees me, whether it's, whether it's up here getting to serve or sharing the word of God or sitting, doing something at our home where she says, I, I want to know God more because of my husband. We'll get to it later on, but, but Ephesians chapter five, it talks about how how. Jesus, he's, he comes into our marriage to clean us, to make us presentable. And that's what a husband, that's what a wife should be doing to one another, preparing us more and more and more till the day we get to stand before Christ. And I can stand before Christ saying, ah, oh, the woman that, that I had a covenant love with drove me to understand your covenant love for me. So why do marriages struggle so much to enjoy this Eden-like environment? And I think in many cases, it's because we wait for our spouse to provide that for us. But that's not how God works. This covenant behind me that God makes with the nation of Israel, you know what's already happened by Exodus 19? They've been saved from Egypt. They've been brought out. They're wealthy with the goods of Egypt. They have already received the salvation and the blessings of God. And now God says, oh yeah, and by the way, if you will. Oh, you see, this covenant was not based on their behavior. He had already saved them in spite of their behavior. And all of God's covenants are so one-sided. I won't destroy the earth of the flood. I will make of you a great nation. I David later on that says, I will make sure one of your children sits on the throne of Israel forever. It's, these covenants are so one-sided. God does all the work. And you got to think, this Exodus chapter 19, the all-knowing, omniscient God says this, if you will indeed obey my voice. Don't you think he knew they weren't going to? And yet what do we see? His grace, his restoration, his redemption just coming over and over and over again. So now take this understanding of how God works in covenants and take it to marriage. How many brides and grooms do you think when they stand in front of a, of a gathering for a ceremony that they're actually thinking of covenant love? My pledge is to, to love you not based on anything you do. My, my pledge is to love you based entirely on my promise to you and you alone until one of us dies. That's covenant love. But my guess is the large percentage of marriages that take place around us, and I'm not critical, I went into it the same way. The large percentage of, of, of marriages that take place around us, people aren't looking for covenant relationships, they're looking for consumer relationships. 
a consumer relationship. I'll make a deal with you as long as it's the best deal for me. And when it's not the best deal for me anymore, I'll go somewhere else. My wife has a great consumer relationship with all the stores in Harrisonburg. <laughs> go to Walmart, and if they have what she wants, she gets it. If not, I'm going to go to Costco. If Costco doesn't have it, I'm going to go to Aldi. If Aldi doesn't have it, I'll go to Sharp Shopper. And after I go to Sharp Shopper, I'm going to make consumer relationships, consumer covenants with TJ Maxx, Ross, what are Hobby Lobby? Oh, yeah, we could go on and on, right? A consumer relationship is just, if you give me what I want, I'll give you what, you, I'll give you what I have. God intended our marriages to be covenant relationships. And while we know that, we practice our marriages so much as consumer relationships. If you love me the way I want, I'll love you the way that you want, but you go first. So covenant relationship is, I love you. Because I've promised to love you. No matter how you, no matter how I feel. No matter how you feel. No matter how you make me feel. And no matter how someone else makes me feel. None of that matters because I have given you covenant love. That's what God did for us. We don't deserve his love. We have his love because he has promised his love to us. So we go back to this statement now. As we talk of highlighting the home, we go back to the statement. Sorry. Does a man need a piece of paper to love a woman? Hey, no. Not on days he feels like it. Does a man need a piece of paper to love a woman? Well, yeah, on days he doesn't want to. And on days when she doesn't love him. And on, one, and on days where others might make a greater appeal of love than, than that woman that is in front of him. Yeah, yeah, see that, that marriage relationship binds you into a covenant agreement that says it's not based on you, me, or anyone else. This is a promise I will give you regardless of the circumstances. That's why Keller wrote, continued to write in his book in that chapter. He said, when someone says, I love you, but let's not ruin it by getting married. What that person really means is, I don't love you enough to close off all my options. I don't love you enough to give myself to you that thoroughly. To say, I don't need a piece of paper to love you is basically to say, my love for you has not reached the marriage level. You see, that covenant that God made with the nation of Israel, that when they were in Babylon and had no hope, the, the prophets could proclaim hope. And those people could remember a covenant that God had made with them. Oh man, that's how many times I have gotten in my truck and I am just thinking, I'm so glad I'm headed home. Because while people reject me, someone's gonna, someone's gonna be there to accept me. While people hate me, oh, there's going to be someone who's going to be there to love me. While so many people don't want me, there's one person who's going to be there. And I know no matter what took place that day, someone is going to be glad to see me come home. 
That's the covenant love of hope that I have in days of distress. And that's what our marriages need to be. It's why in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul used, the, used this very language going all the way back to Genesis 2. And this is what he says, and I'm nearly done. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church because we are members of his body and then notice this from genesis 2 24 therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage and Jesus are compared. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's covenant love to Israel, and our marriages are supposed to reflect God's love to us, to our spouse, and reflect it to our children, and reflect it to a world around us. See, marriages are so much more than two people standing, in, standing together saying, I'm in love with you, so I want to live together with you for the rest of our lives. No, our marriages are meant to be an expression to the world of the incredible covenant love that Jesus, who is the fulfillment of God's covenant, offers to those who believe and trust in him. So ask yourself, when my children view my marriage, do they want to be loved by Christ like that? with forgiveness, with kindness, with tenderness, with compassion, with joy, with a promised love that's not dependent on what anyone else does. Jesus fulfilled this covenant of God, and if you don't know Jesus, man, you're missing out on some great love, and I'd love to share that with you. But Jesus... When he comes and he's the fulfillment, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And at the Last Supper, he gathers his disciples and he brings a new covenant. Verse 19 says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood new covenant yeah see jesus fulfilled that covenant between god and israel that through abraham all the nations of the world would be blessed jesus was the fulfillment of that so he says there's a new covenant and this time it's not between god and israel it's between god and anyone who will believe in jesus and if you believe in jesus you'll receive the covenant love that god has available for all of us and once again it's really one-sided that's what jesus did for us and what we have to do is believe in him and in his work and that's what pastor micah is going to come remind us of as we close our time together today in remembering the lord's supper would you pray with me